This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. I would ask you to turn to uh, Matthew chapter 8 this morning, um, and we'll pick up where we left off last week. Here in verse 18, Matthew chapter 8, verse 18, just uh, a reminder here um, that the, uh, the overall emphasis here in uh, this section is on the authority of Christ. Um, so again, as we, as we read uh, the rest of this chapter this morning, that's, that's where the primary focus is. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You again for granting us this time to come together and worship in song, in giving, uh, in hearing Your Word. Lord, I ask that You would enable me to present the message You would have delivered here faithfully. I ask that You grant clarity and accuracy Lord, enable all of us to come to a better understanding of Your truth. Lord, as we hear more about You, read more about You and Your Word, draw closer to You in study and in prayer, Lord, may may You just become bigger and bigger and bigger in our sight, in our heart, so that our lives are taken over, consumed with a love and passion for You. Lord, work all of these things in us, we pray, as You've promised by by Your Word, by the power of Your Spirit, for Your glory. In Jesus' name, Amen. Verse 18. Matthew 8:18. 8, I'm going to go ahead and read um, through the end of the chapter. It's kind of a large section, but uh, again, there's a uh, there's a flow here. So I, I just want to kind of get all of these examples of the uh, authority of Christ together, and uh, maybe reflect a little bit too on some that we've already talked about. Matthew 8:18. 8, and when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart. To the other side. Then a certain scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Follow me. Let the dead bury their own dead. Now when he got into a boat, his disciples followed him. And suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with the waves. But he was asleep. Then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us. 
We are perishing. But He said to them, Why are you fearful? O you of little faith. Then He arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey Him? When He had come to the other side, to the country of the Gergesenes, there met Him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass that way. And suddenly they cried out, saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a good way off from them there was a herd of many swine feeding. So the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, permit us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said to them, Go. So when they came out, they went into the herd of swine. And suddenly, the whole herd of swine ran violently down the steep place into the sea and perished in the water. Then those who kept them fled. And they went away into the city and told everything, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus, when they saw Him, they begged Him to depart from their region. Well, we have several examples here, again, of Jesus putting His authority on display. Um, his, in word and in deed, His, his uh, comments to the scribe, to the other disciple, Another disciple um, in the story of the demoniacs and pigs. <laughs> in each case, a display of the reality of who Jesus is. And that's really what I want to focus in on this morning. My, my attention it was kind of drawn into that uh, phrase, what, what manner of man is this? Or who can this be? Or, as some versions put it, what kind of man is this? He's, he's doing things that unseen before. He's saying things in a manner unheard before. He's not the Jesus that apparently, that apparent, that, uh, apparently the crowds expected. Certainly not the Jesus that uh, the religious community expected. I mean, the leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes. We have an account here of one of the scribes here who, who apparently looks uh, favor, favorably on Jesus' ministry. That was unusual. Often they're spoke of uh, strictly in a negative way, but here's one that commits, I want to follow you. But for the most part, the Pharisees, the scribes, the temple priests, the elders, the Sadducees, this Jesus that they're confronted with did not fit their expectations. And 
repeatedly, uh, Jesus either exceeds expectations or um, doesn't meet, obviously, wrong expectations as He confronts them with the truth, with the reality of who He really is. First of all, Matthew in this section records for us that a scribe comes to Jesus. Now, now this would be a teacher, um, someone who uh, his, his occupation, his, his calling, his vocation is in the Word, which at the time would have been the old, what we call the Old Testament. Copying out the Old Testament, teaching it. This is a professional, so to speak. And as I said before, for the most part, they rejected Jesus. This one comes and says, Teacher, seems to address him in a favorable way. I will follow you wherever you go. He voices a commitment. As if to say, I'm convinced that you're the Messiah. And just just tell me where we're going. I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, Foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay His head. Now I'm going to do just a bit of speculation here, okay? Because this this is based on the fact that Jesus always knows exactly the right thing to say to the person that He's dealing with in order to penetrate (laughs) their heart. And whatever, whatever hard issues they have, whatever wrong ideas, wrong views they have... Jesus knows how to expose them. And often, you know, that's openly stated in the Scripture. Uh, here it's really not. It seems to me to be implied, though. In other words, why does Jesus reply the way He does? The man simply says, Teacher. He acknowledges uh, He's a teacher Himself, and He acknowledges that, teach, that Jesus is a teacher. And He says, I will follow you. And that's quite a statement, because again, He's a teacher Himself. And yet He's, he's insinuating... I'm I'm willing to submit to your authority, to your teaching. You just tell me where we need to go. Now, here's where the bit of speculation comes in. I'm going to speculate a little bit that he doesn't have the right idea about Jesus' ministry. It was not unusual for... Um, there to be, there were different schools, uh, rabbinical schools, and at least what I picture in, in my mind is is something like uh, the academic community that we have today. In the sense that there, there's there's usually a bit of prestige with it, privilege, oftentimes. Paul himself was uh, instructed by a renowned rabbi Gamaliel. Probably what this man is envisioning here. Oh, this man Jesus, this man Jesus is saying some good things. He's a great teacher. He's a better teacher than I. He's a teacher that I can learn from. Um, Maybe he's the Messiah. And maybe I can get in on the ground floor, learn from this man. And uh, who knows, perhaps inherit uh, some of his 
ministry. And Jesus promises no prestige. In fact, he just gets right down to the very basics. He promises no comfort. He, he, he lays it right out there on the line for this man who obviously, whatever his wrong ideas are, would seem to have some wrong ideas. I think that's what Jesus is addressing. And Jesus just lays it right out there for him. Foxes have holes. Birds have nests. But the Son of Man, speaking of Himself, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay His head. He's saying, I'm, there's no comfort or prestige in coming with me. You want to follow me? I don't even have a, a home. have nowhere to lay my head. He promises no comfort. And then another disciple said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my dead. And by the way, that would seem to imply that the, uh, uh, the, the first guy was a disciple, at least to the extent. Uh, of following him, it doesn't necessarily mean uh, with full commitment, but just following him where he's going, and that's what he's desiring to do. And now another disciple said to him, "Lord, let me first go bury my dead, so, my, bury my father, rather." So he's saying, uh, "Lord, I'll follow you. I just have some things I need to take care of first. And we get another shocking response from Jesus. Follow me. That is, you follow me. And let the dead bury their own dead. Now, both of these statements, it, it, it doesn't seem like Jesus' primary objective is to gain followers. It, 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 in fact... In fact, it almost seems like, doesn't it, that he's attempting to drive them away. One guy says, I'll follow you wherever you go. And he says, well, look, let me, let me tell you, it's not going to be pretty. I don't even have a place to lay my head. As if to say, are you sure you want to go with me wherever I go? It's going to cost. It's not going to be comfortable. It's going to cost. And now the other guy says, well, look, I'll follow you, Lord, but first I've got some things I've got to take care of. I have to bury my father. Now, he's, he's probably either meaning by that that um, his father has died and he needs to go handle things, make sure that he gets a decent burial, and do, do what children are supposed to do for their parents. Take care of the handle of the situation. Either that or possibly he means his father is still alive, but what he's saying is, I need to take care of my father until he dies. Fulfill my responsibility as a child. When my father dies, bury him and then I'll come. At, you know, after, I've, after I have fulfilled my responsibility, I'll come and follow you. Either way, Jesus' reply is pretty shocking, isn't it? Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. That is, let the spiritually dead bury their own 
physically dead. Your focus is to be on me. So again, he shoots right for the heart of the one speaking to him. He knows what's going on in the heart of man. And again, just a bit of speculation here, but I would say that this man's priorities are not right. He's, he's putting, and this is the problem here, he's putting Jesus second to something else. Now, let's just think about that for a moment because what the man is desiring to do is a noble thing. Let me go bury my father. The, the commandment, honor your father and your mother. What he's talking about doing would be a fulfillment of that. And yet, he's, he's taking that to an extreme, to the extreme that he puts other people, in this case his father, before the Lord himself. So in both cases, Jesus is making very clear here, following me requires full dedication. The first one, you, you've got to be ready to be uncomfortable. You've got to deny self. I don't even have a place to lay my head. Is that how you're ready to live? And to the second one, again, you've got to be ready to put me first. There has to be wholehearted devotion. And Jesus doesn't make any bones about that. There, there's not any sugaring things down in order to get them to follow. You know, well, I'll get them to follow me. I'll, I'll, I'll tell them some things that will encourage them to come on and follow. And then, the more that I get to talk to them, the more that we get to know each other, I can kind of just kind of ease these harder things in so that they'll be more likely to receive them. No, He lays it right on the line, right up front. Following me means hardship. Following me means everything else is secondary. Total and complete devotion. Not what they were expecting. That's not what they were looking for. At least it doesn't seem to be. In the Messiah. Not what they're looking for in a teacher. Then, when Jesus has crossed over, uh, or goes to cross over the Sea of Galilee, we're told in verse 23, they get into a boat, his disciples follow him. Suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with waves. But he was asleep. Then his disciples came to him, and remember this is in the midst of a furious storm. His disciples come to him and say, Lord, save us, we're perishing. They woke him up. In verse 26, Jesus said, Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea. And there was a great calm. 
Immediately. Picture that in your mind. Now, I'm told, I've, I've, I've read in several uh, uh, places that these storms uh, come on the, the Sea of Galilee uh, oftentimes with, with little or no warning, and they're furious. So these, these men are in the middle of a violent storm, and the boat is being rocked, and the waves are coming over the boat. And in the midst of this, Jesus is sleeping. Now, be sure to apply this the right way. All right, this is not a picture of God sleeping on the job. All right, when the disciples come running, we're perishing. You know, analogous to us running to the Lord for help, and and God is asleep. No, that's not what Matthew is saying. the The point that he's making here is that Jesus is unconcerned about perishing. He's not worried about perishing himself. It's not his time yet. He knows how he's going to die. He came for that purpose. To die on the cross for the sins of his people. He's not going out in the middle of a storm. And he's not concerned about his disciples perishing. Why not? Well, the key is this, and, and, and this again, I think, is where it ties in with the, the first two incidents and, and the, uh, the fourth one that we'll get to in a moment. Jesus knows, He Himself, Jesus knows who He is. And they don't. Now, I don't know how far along this scribe or this other disciple mentioned in verse 21. I don't know how far along they were uh, in following the Lord. Don't know if they, if they kept following the Lord. They may have uh, turned away at this point. They may have turned away for a time and came back, come back later. We don't know. We don't know the outcome of their situation. But we do know the outcome of some of these men. These were men chosen by the Lord Himself who would later bear witness of Him, carry the gospel into the world. And so you may have the tendency to think that right from the start, they had a grasp of who this man Jesus was, and of His power, and of His authority. After all, they were quick to identify Him as the Messiah, and to run and tell others, Messiah has come! But they did not have a real grasp of who the Messiah was to be. So in the middle of this storm, in the very presence of the One who Himself created the sea and the winds, and not only created them, but makes them do what they do. In the very presence of the One who controls nature, they think they're fixing to die at the hands of the storm because they don't know who Jesus is. Why are you fearful? That is to imply that they should not be. Oh, you of little faith. Every time I look at this, a passage in Psalm 107 comes to mind. 
couple of passages in Psalm 107. Here's the one who was with them in the boat, spoken of in this psalm. Psalm 107, verse 25, For He commands and raises the stormy wind, which lifts up the waves of the sea. They mount up to the heavens. They go down again to the depths. Their soul melts because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. Good description of the disciples in the boat. Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble and He brings them out of their distress. He calms the storm so that its waves are still. Psalm 107.25 He commands and raises the stormy wind which lifts up the waves from the sea. Verse 29 He calms the storm so that its waves are still. He's the one that does these things. And so Jesus rebukes them for their lack of faith, their lack of, of trust in Him. And then He arose and rebuked the winds. Now, it's one thing to speak to a person, right? And say, say essentially, where's your faith? You have little faith. Why are you fearful? But then He speaks to the winds and the waves. And there was a great calm. And there's an immediate response. An immediate response from what we call the forces of nature, right? As if they had their own... <laughs> their own energy, uh, you know. The forces of nature. He's the one that raises up the sea and storm. He's the one that calms it. And so He speaks, again, just like we've seen uh, previously, sometimes He heals with a touch, sometimes with a word. In this case, He commands, and the winds die, the waves are calm. And they marvel. There's a great calm. It's interesting the emphasis Matthew puts there. Uh, and he was there. There's a great calm. Brother uh, Tommy that used to come to our breakfast, he served in the uh, Navy back during World War II. And he said sometimes you'd get out on the open sea and uh, this is hard to even imagine, but he, he said sometimes you'd get out on the open sea and it would be so calm that it just looked like a sheet of ice or glass. Not a ripple. That's amazing, isn't it? Just hard to, hard to imagine. That seems to be what Matthew is describing. At one second, the waves are fierce. And then the next moment when Jesus speaks, there's a calm. Now put yourself in their shoes for a moment. It's awesome when grace is flowing from His lips. <laughs> and he's, he's speaking things so, so that they would say, never, never man spake like this before. And He's speaking comfort. And He's giving uh, illumination about the character of God and the will of God and the kingdom of God. And it's awesome when they stand back and they, and they watch Him 
take the hand, the withered hand of a man and just immediately make it whole. Or a person who's never seen before and he gives him sight. But when the winds and the sea obey him, Something hits home with these men at that moment. This is not what they were expecting. They looked for, as all Jews did, those who were, who were really religious, they looked for a Messiah. They looked for the prophet. God told Moses, I'm going to raise up another prophet like you. And Him, the people will hear. Now, they expected a deliverer, a teacher, a prophet. This man seems to be more. What manner of man is this? Who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey Him? And in each instance, and sometimes we're explicitly told here in verse 27, and then again in verse 34, other times it's implied, like um, verse uh, 20 and verse um, 22. In, e- in each instance, there's, there's a discomfort. There's a shock at the confrontation of the real Jesus. Expectations are either shattered or exceeded. (laughs) He's either not what they thought he would be, and therefore they're offended, or he just goes way beyond what they were expecting, and they tremble. And Jesus does... Doesn't make any apology for that. You know, I can remember um, just prior to the Lord uh, saving me, uh, and probably, well, maybe maybe a short time thereafter. But I, I can remember, for example, and I didn't attend church much uh, just prior to that. I, I, I well, I didn't I didn't attend. I went just prior to that happening. Um, because of the conviction that the Lord was bringing upon me. But I I remember, and this is just an example, but I I remember sitting in church service and being so uncomfortable. I mean, you'd have thought that preacher who who was mild, let me tell you, uh, but you would have thought he was really abusing me. (laughs) Very uncomfortable. Now, I look back on that now, especially in light of passages like this, and understand that's the way it's supposed to be. It's amazing, isn't it? We spend so much effort today trying to make people comfortable and make the Gospel palatable. How, how will they be saved? 
if they are not confronted with the reality of who Jesus is. He didn't come to make us comfortable. He didn't come to be second to anything or any relationship that we have. He didn't come to be a a genie that would cater to our every whim. And who He really is is disturbing. Sometimes just the mention of His name. There's a story, and I don't tell this often because I don't know that anybody can appreciate it. You know, some, some of those, some things are that way. The Lord does little things in your life, and, and uh, it may be that um, it's hard for anybody else to identify with because they would have to know the whole situation. But um, it was a witness to me. Let me just say that up front so maybe you'll kind of have, in, in case you're at the end of it, you're saying, what's the purpose of that? <laughs> let, me just, let me just tell you, it, it was a witness to me at the time, and looking back, I think I see. I understand to some degree how the Lord used it. Um, most of you know, you know, before I was saved, one, uh, that I was, my occupation, okay, I used, my job, I was, uh, if you can call it that, was um, playing music in, in the bars. And, and that's what I did full time. We did it, you know, six, seven nights a week. And one club that we, we worked at down in Mansfield was more like a, a rock and roll bar. We, we did mostly country music uh, in a lot of places, but, but this place was more like a rock and roll bar, and so we just, you know, we just wanted to put the pedal to the metal type things in, in that place because it was kind of a loud, wild place with a lot of, lot of people always. And we prided ourselves in doing requests. You know, you can ask us anything. It don't matter if it's country, if it's blues, if it's rock, or whatever it is. And uh, if we even know a few lines of it, we'll, you know, we'll fake it, we'll play it. And, uh, and we'll try to pull it off. And so this, this man comes up to me one night, and, and you know, he was, he, was, uh, he was drunk. And uh, he approached the stage, and he said, It's my birthday. Would you do a request for me? I said, Ab- Absolutely. We love to do requests, you know. We, we, like I say, we, we, we wanted them. You know, it's like stump the band, you know. Give us something, and if we know it, we'll do it. And... Uh, Usually we knew it because I had a good working knowledge of country music. My lead guitar player had a really good knowledge of rock and roll music. So he said, can you do one day at a time? Now, any of you know anything about country music, 70s country music, you know that that was a, uh, it was a popular country song, but it's a gospel-oriented song, a country gospel song. Um, the artist slips my mind, but at any rate, it was a popular song. Um, why, uh, one day at a time, sweet Jesus. That's all, you know, the song says, one day at a time, sweet Jesus, that's all I'm asking of you. Well, when I was like a, a teenager or whatever, uh, this lady that we would run around with, and, and she, I mean, it was my best friend's mother, she would sing, oh, she could sing, can sing, and she would sing that all the time. So, I mean, I knew the song well. But that's the last song I wanted to do <laughs> in a honky-tonk in Mansfield, Louisiana, filled with, uh, you know, people that uh, would rather hear uh, ZZ Top and Leonard Skinner. <clears throat> and our, my lead guitar player, he knew that I knew the song. And he would do anything, you know. I mean, he didn't care. 
And, and he looks at me and he said, you know that, don't you? And I said, yeah, I know, I know that. I know that, but I, you know. And, and the guy's standing there asking, oh, well, can you, can you do it? It's my birthday. Can you play it? And uh, Chris, our lead guitar player, says, uh, come on, man, come on, do it, do it. And I knew every word of it, so I, I, I sang it. We played it. Now, like I say, this, it was a witness to me. It's kind of a weird thing, but the dance floor was packed. The place was place was hopping, and of course, you know when when we played played whatever song slow fast they they danced. That's the only thing I knew cornmeal was for, brother Ron. Back then, was you, you sprinkle it on the you sprinkle it on the dance floor. I know nothing about making biscuits and all that stuff, but you, what fast or slow people danced. Well, the the dance floor was full, but nobody was dancing. Everybody was just standing there like this, and they're and listening. And when we and they did that the whole song. And when we finished, um, they applauded. I mean, this is a ball. <laughs> Everybody just you know they cheered and applauded. And that's one of the strangest feelings uh, that I can remember. One of those things that just stuck in my mind. Introducing the name of Jesus into that environment had an effect. Now I'm not saying that everybody repented and cried out to the Lord and everybody was saved. We had revival. I'm not saying that I was saved that night. All I'm saying is, just the mention of His name had a, had a strange and powerful effect. And I didn't forget it. To this day, I haven't forgotten it. What kind of man is this? That at the mention of his name, sometimes uh, they'll kill you. Thank the Lord, I I got applause that night. <laughs> and then you know it wasn't my time yet either. I didn't know, but and then the Lord later saved me. But but sometimes they'll kill you for introducing his name into a discussion or into a particular environment. What, what kind of man is this? He can even command the winds and the sea. And even demons. Verse 28, When he had come to the other side, to the country of the Gergesenes, this is on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, they had crossed over. But you look back at verse 18. When Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. Now they're now they were arriving on the other side. And verse 28 says, "There met him two demon-possessed men, demoniacs or lunatics, coming out of the tombs. These are these are men possessed with demons, evil spirits, and these men are living among." The tombs, living in a cemetery there. And they came out exceedingly fierce. They are, they are so controlled by these demons that they're just out of hand and nobody can control them. They can't be bound. Another Gospel writer tells us. In fact, here, Matthew says, Exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass that way. Now, I would just imagine 
Uh, and this is kind of like crossing the sea. If, do you think Jesus knew that a storm was going to hit? I think He knew it when they got in the boat. I think He knew it when He laid His head down and went to sleep. Do you think Jesus knew that nobody passes by this way? Because there's lunatics in the cemetery and they'll hurt you. And, and that's right where He goes. And suddenly they cried out. Now here's where the, the story changes from what would be the norm. You know, somebody comes along that way and they get beat up or whatever because of these lunatics. Or at least scared half out of their wits. But they approached Jesus, and Matthew says in verse 29, suddenly they cried out saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus? You Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Well, there are a lot of interesting truths in, that, in those comments. First of all, they recognize who Jesus is. Jesus, you Son of God, they, they know who Jesus is. So mark, mark this down. Knowing who Jesus is is not enough. That's, that's not the same as being saved. That's not the same as having a relationship with Him. That's not the same as being reconciled to God through Him. The demons know who He is. And then they say, have you come to torment us before the time? (laughs) They know that He's going to torment them. Now, these are demonic spirits. These aren't uh, crazy people in the sense, you know, that they're just delusional. It's not a couple of men who are just delusional. They think they're hearing voices and and they see Jesus and, oh, you know, you're the one that's going to torment us. And so Jesus says, wait a minute, I'm not tormenting anybody. No, 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 no. These are demons possessing these men, speaking through them, and they recognize who Jesus is, and they know that there is a point of time, the time, at the end of this verse, there's a point in time in which they will suffer as the outcome of His judgment upon them. And they're struck with fear. He came early. (laughs) It's, It's not the time. What are you doing here? And so the demons begged Him, verse 31. They begged Him. These are these are, are fallen angels. That's what demons are. Angelic beings that have sinned, rebelled against God. They are far more powerful. And I would say, uh, based on what little we know about them in the Scripture, far more intelligent than human beings. And they are in fear of this man Have you come to torment us before our time? And they beg Him, saying, If you cast us out, 
permit us to go away into the herd of swine, the herd of pigs that are nearby. In other words, demons are asking His permission. If you're going to cast us out, may we go into the herd of pigs over there? And He said, go. They could only do what they did because He gave them permission. In every instance here, dealing with the prospective followers, potential followers, dealing with the storm, dealing with the demons, in in every instance here, Jesus is in total command. That's, That's probably... Um, that's probably rule number one of true discipleship. Jesus calls the shots. That's, wh- that's why we're called followers, because He goes and He tells us where to go and we follow. But He calls the shots. He's always in command. So when they had come out, they went into the herd of pigs, and suddenly the whole herd of swine ran violently down the steep place into the sea and perished in the water. Now we could ask a lot of questions: Why did Jesus allow the pigs to go in the swine? Uh, allow the demons to go in the pigs? Why did the demons want to go in the pigs, especially when they were just going to destroy them? Um, I don't tend to know all the answers to that. I, 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 probably um, th- this is what. Satan does, and his followers, right? Kill, steal, destroy. They just want to destroy something of God's creation. And Jesus, obviously, and this may be another lesson to glean from this particular incident, Jesus obviously puts more value on people than He does on animals. He delivers the person, or persons, the two men, he delivers the persons and he lets the 2,000 pigs perish. This is a Gentile populated area, by the way. Um, so, uh, I, you know, I've heard pe- people speculate that, well, these are. The pigs were unclean under the Old Testament law. These were Jews that had the pigs, and so Jesus was destroying the pigs because the Jews weren't supposed to have them anyway. That's a possibility, but. Uh, we don't know that. This was a, the area called the Decapolis, the ten cities, um, populated by Gentiles. And so um, it's very possible that it, these were Gentiles that owned the pigs. And at any rate, Jesus puts more value on the persons than on the animals. And maybe He did it just to show what the demons were capable of. In other words, I'll I'll deliver the two men, let the demons have their way with the pigs, so that everybody standing around can see what kind of destruction these demons do, how powerful they are, and as a result, have a better grasp of Jesus' authority. (laughs) He's able to command... Forces of nature, the winds, the sea. He's Lord over 
all of creation. He can say to the winds and the sea, be still. And they obey. Because He controls them. And He has authority over the spiritual realm. Not, not only the natural realm, but over the spiritual realm, which is also part of His creation. He brought all of these things into being. He can control them. And incidentally, as Creator, ultimately He is the owner of everything anyway, right? So, when you think of it in an ultimate sense, the pigs were His to do whatever He wanted to do with. <laughs> now, here's the last thing I want to note here. Is, to me, again, the, the shock element. Look at verse 33. Then those who kept them fled, and they went away into the city and told everything, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. So all of a sudden, all these people out there, <clears throat> probably uh, you know, lost, probably a mixture of Gentiles, um, they all become evangelists all of a sudden. And they go running into town to spread the news about what Jesus did. And here's the result, verse 34. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. So now you picture a mob of people coming out at the report of these, uh, these men, these pig farmers and others who witnessed it. The country dwellers, you know, they run into town, report to the city dwellers, and, and now they all come out. And this is what just kind of blows my mind. They, they all come out to meet Jesus. They, they've heard... And they too marvel enough to, you know, um, put the DVD on pause and say, well, i got to go check this guy out. Leave the shop or whatever it was and go out to the country and want to meet this guy. And Matthew says, when they saw him, they begged him to depart from their region. It doesn't, seem, it doesn't seem like those two sentences go together. They all came to meet Jesus. And then when they saw Him, they begged Him to leave. I mean, you expect they all came to meet Jesus, and when they saw Him, oh, they, they said, thank you, thank you, thank you for setting these men free. You know, we're, we're it's, it's regretful, you know, what happened to the pigs, but thank you for setting these men free. Thank you for coming into our area, bringing your ministry here. That's the kind of thing you expect because they all went out to meet him. Or you would expect, you know, they nobody was interested in meeting him. They just wanted him to get out of there. But Matthew says, they all came to meet him, and then they, when they saw him, they begged him to leave. Now, I'll be honest with you, I, I don't know why, why when they saw. I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Maybe, I think it definitely the whole thing does have to do with wrong ideas again and wrong expectations. But what is it that they saw that, I don't know, maybe when they heard the report, you know, he's casting out demons, even demons are crying out to him, Son of God, and, and he casts them out, has power over them. Maybe they, maybe they expected to go out there and find a, a majestic, 
uh, man, you know, or, or someone that looked like an angel descended to earth, a ruler. And then they see a man who looks like a common man. I, I don't know. I'd have to speculate there, but I, but I know this. The real Jesus, the authentic Jesus, the Jesus who has all power and authority, who can command the waves and the sea to be still, the Jesus that demands wholehearted devotion, so much so that He would say, look, let the dead bury their dead. You make it your business to follow Me. The Jesus knows who knows the hearts of men and therefore knows exactly what to say to them to address the issue that they have that's hindering them from serving Him. The Jesus who has authority to command demons to come out of a man and enter into a herd of swine and they obey Him. That Jesus, they didn't want any part of. And they said, Leave us alone. You're, you're too intrusive. To, to surrender to you would mean to relinquish our own sovereignty. Something along those lines. What, what kind of man is this? The ultimate. The only perfect one. What kind of man is this? The God-man. Like we talked about Friday night. He was in the beginning with God. He was God. And He created all things and there wasn't anything made that was made except through Him. And in Him was life. And the life was the light of men. Light came into the world, but men loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. And He became flesh. That is, He took on human nature, became a man, and He dwelled among us. And we beheld his glory, John says, we, we saw when He cast out demons. We saw when He gave sight to the blind. We saw when He commanded the sea and the winds to cease. We saw the grace operating in and through Him. We saw His humility. We saw His submission to the Father. We saw His love demonstrated when He laid down His own life for His own sheep. And we saw His power and His majesty when He raised Himself up again by the power of the Spirit of God. What kind of man is this? The God-man. The only way of salvation. Yes, He has all power and all authority so that even the demons must obey Him, so that even nature must obey Him, so that He is deserving of full, wholehearted devotion from those who follow Him, so that He is second to none.
Is that what you look for in a Savior? What did you expect? Someone less than the Supreme Lord over all? Jesus is Lord. Do you know Him as Lord? Do you know the authentic Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible? Let's pray. Lord, we stand in awe of Your power of Your authority. Authority in heaven, authority on earth, authority over all. We stand in awe of Your love. That You would lay aside Your glory, take on human nature, suffer at the hands of men, die cruel death, of the Roman cross, all for the sins of those who will submit to You and follow You. We're in awe of Your power, Your resurrection power. Raised on the third day, giving us Assurance of eternal life as well. Lord, may we have a better understanding, a better grasp, a better vision of who You are so that it drives us to our knees in humble submission. May we understand Your love. And may we love You as the result. Thank You for Your Word, the revelation You've given us here. Thank You, Lord, for coming to save sinners. In Jesus' name, amen. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us, or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.